What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. I'm your fearless host, Brendan Schaefer. Fearless. I'm afraid of some things. I'm afraid of that drive I have to make from Jupiter to Missouri tomorrow. Well, that's not going to be any fun, but for now, it's Tuesday night, and we've got an opportunity to sit around and chat some Cardinals baseball, so we'll do exactly that on this episode of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you for joining me as the Cardinals just keep winning this spring. On the on the field, everything's going well. They beat the Marlins 4-3 to on Tuesday at Roger Dean Stadium. It's my last full day here in Jupiter, so the last time we'll be able to update you at least with a boots-on-the-ground perspective on the goings-on down in Jupiter. But we will stay tuned, stay locked and loaded on all the news and everything going on down here, even after I return to Missouri. Won't see an episode on Wednesday, though, because that 17-and-a-half, 18-hour drive awaits, and it's not going to be fun. But I'll get through it, and I'll probably sleep during the day on Thursday, do my radio show and then hopefully be back to normal by Friday, and we can pick back up with B-Shape Daily then. That's probably my my anticipated schedule for you guys. But for now, let's get into some of the latest with the Cardinals. Uh, let's see what we got going on here. Yadier Molina's back. That's good. Haven't seen him in a game yet. You probably will. Certainly by Friday, I think, would be the way that's going to break down because there's no game on Thursday. They play at Palm Beach on Wednesday. And I'm not sure if he'll be in the lineup for that. It is an Adam Wainwright game, though, I do believe, on Wednesday for the Cardinals. And so I guess there's always that possibility. But Friday seems more likely to get Yachty back into the lineup for the Cardinals. I expect him to be ready to go for the season. There shouldn't be any worry there. You may see him having to knock a little bit of the rust off, but I, I don't think it's going to be anything major as far as that's concerned. So Yachty should be back and good to go. We've got some news on Tuesday about arbitration-eligible players. Cardinals were able to come to agreements with five of the seven guys that they had ARB eligible for the season. Off the top of my head, let's see if I can do this without looking it up. Jack Flaherty, Dakota Hudson, Jordan Hicks, Alex Reyes, Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill. That's only six. Who'd I forget? Uh, Gio Gallegos. Giovanni Gallegos was the seventh. And the Cardinals sent out a press release uh, this evening, Tuesday evening, saying that they came to terms with five of the seven, the two that they did not agree with just yet the two outfielders Bader and O'Neill both of those guys certainly should be due uh, a pretty good raise in the arbitration process both won a gold glove last year Tyler O'Neill, I believe finished top 10 in MVP voting uh, he had a very good season offensively as well Bader solid at the plate even better in the field and so those guys will be getting their raises probably going to do it through the hearing process of arbitration the Cardinals in recent years have been more willing to go all the way to hearing. You remember a few years ago, Michael Waka was the first guy they did that with. After many, many years of not going to hearings, they've sort of shifted in their approach on that. It was Jack Flaherty last year that did go to a hearing. Uh, Jack Flaherty won. The difference was about $900,000 for his 2021 salary. Cardinals wanted to pay him $3 million, or, or they basically filed that they could argue, their belief that they could argue that he was you know, deserving of $3 million for that season. Flaherty's representatives said $3.9 million. Flaherty won the case, so that was his salary last year. This year, he settles for $5 million ahead of the deadline there, and so Jack Flaherty is going to be under contract for $5 million. People who have questions about that, that's 
probably pretty standard based on where he was last year. If anything, I would have probably expected a a larger raise for Flaherty, but he did deal with injury trouble last year, so he didn't get a full chance to put together the kinds of numbers that I think could have gotten him an even healthier raise this season. There's also the fact that he comes into the season injured, and I honestly, I don't know how much of a role that played in his willingness to settle. It's kind of crazy to think about, though, because if this all happened in the offseason when it normally would uh, in, in a non-lockout year, Jack Flaherty would have already probably had this taken care of back in February, uh, even sooner than that if he would have settled. But let's say that Jack Flaherty would have known, okay, I'm going to have a hearing or whatever it would be in February, and maybe the team, whether they knew or didn't know about the extent of his injury, would that play into what those arguments could have entailed? Uh, it's hard to say. And so it's possible that Jack Flaherty's representative said, look, we're going to be able to get you know a solid salary for you this year, $5 million. If we were to go into the hearing, uh, you might end up getting some some of the stuff about the injury that, that gets dug up and, and that could work against you. I honestly don't know. That's just kind of speculation on my part as to whether that might have played into it at all if Flaherty had gone to a hearing. But if that had happened a month ago, maybe a different story. So kind of interesting there. Bottom line, Flaherty's got his deal. All these guys are going to have their deals soon enough. We probably talk about the arbitration stuff. Simultaneously, we talk about it more than we should because it's not that interesting. And yet we talk about it less than we should because I think there's sometimes uh, folks don't necessarily understand exactly what it means and, and what what it all entails as far as players between three years of MLB service time and prior to six years because six is the point at which they can go to free agency. And that's just the way, just because they're not under a contract doesn't mean that the you know the Cardinals could lose them to another team. It's not what that means. It's just the mere fact that they've got to come up with the, the actual salary that the player will receive for the given season. Sometimes when guys get contract extensions prior to free agency, they end up buying out those arbitration years and trying to estimate, okay, what would be the value of these years? And then maybe how many free agent years do we want to try to buy up? And when a player signs that deal, he's got to recognize, well, what what might I be worth in free agency at that point versus what would I be worth during those arbitration eligibility years? Uh, You know, we've seen this with Paul DeYoung. Uh, Colton Wong signed a deal like that back in the day. Alan Craig before him. Lots of those kinds of players uh, have done that with the Cardinals in previous seasons. We'll see if either Bader or O'Neill is maybe a candidate for that, right? The other guys likely not because they've already agreed to what their salary for this year will be. But sometimes the Cardinals do prior to a hearing. If they're trying to work out a multi-year extension, that could be a different story. They, they could definitely pursue something like that if they think Bader or O'Neill would be candidates. Based on what you saw from O'Neill, maybe he would be interesting to do that with just because uh, the upside for him exists for him to really be able to cash in, uh, you know, if you were to have another huge offensive season, maybe be top five in MVP voting. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but with the value he brings offensively and defensively, it's certainly conceivable. And so if you're the Cardinals looking at that, you'd say, well, maybe we'd like to lock him up. We know we're going to give him guaranteed money. That would be the, the benefit to Tyler O'Neill because he wouldn't have to worry about injury and, and anything like that. He would, he would know what his contract would be if they did a multi-year deal and, and he agreed to it. For the Cardinals, it's okay. We know that this guy's pretty good, and we believe that he might be able to exceed the value that we would get out of this contract uh, if we signed it today. So maybe one of those deals where both sides could benefit. We'll see if that ends up being the case. Uh, certainly, I think it fits for O'Neill a little bit better than Bader uh, because Bader, I don't think, quite has the same upside offensively as O'Neill. 
although he certainly uh, had a solid year last year and, and, and looks to try and do that again as the Cardinals' everyday center fielder. But that's basically the update at this point for as far as the arbitration stuff goes. That should all be resolved. I honestly don't know top of my head when those hearings take place, but it's got to be soon because everything is certainly condensed this spring with uh, the the aftermath of the lockout kind of taking place. Another topic I wanted to get into tonight won't be a super long episode because, like I mentioned, I got to rest up and then I'll be doing that 18-hour drive back home to Missouri on Wednesday. But I did want to get into some conversation about that number five starting rotation spot for the Cardinals. Because Jack Flaherty's not going to be ready. We pretty much know this by now. He's He's got the bursitis issue, and that's been described as the reason for the PRP injection. Trying to get that inflammation down. You recall we talked about the fact that it wasn't necessarily the, the slap tear that was responsible for the, the issues he's having now. But the bursitis is what's being described as, as kind of the reason there. And some of that, though, does stem from maybe Flaherty thought some, some mechanics were not lined up the way they had been previously. When he came back from the oblique injury, which happened as a batter, he gets into maybe some mechanics that were compensating for some of the, the issues he was experiencing coming back from that. And so that could be what led to the bursitis belief is for Flaherty that that he's going to be able to rock and fire be back good to go not impacted by the slap tear once this bursitis stuff uh, kind of heals up for him after the PRP injection and, and just making sure not to dip into any any mechanical compensation for uh, some of the weaker spots that he had had to deal with after the oblique so it's possible that you see Jack Flaherty back and even in the early part of this season I'm not going to rule that out by any stretch I would say the news on Flaherty as the week has gone on has actually gotten better as opposed to worse because we've gotten more of an understanding from him on what his situation looks like. And I think I would describe Flaherty as optimistic. I think the team is relatively optimistic at this point. Uh, but, you know, if, if you were kind of of the camp of, I don't know what the Cardinals are going to get out of Jack Flaherty this year just because you come into camp with an injury, you, you're not exactly excited about the, you know, the, the prognosis at that point. I understand that too, but I would say there, there's certainly a chance that he can be a meaningful contributor for the Cardinals this season, but it's not going to happen right away. And so the Cardinals are going to need that number five spot in the rotation. Ali Marmal seems to want five starters. He wants to leave camp with five starters. I think you might have some other guys like whoever doesn't win that competition. And certainly in the case of Jake Woodford or Drew Verhagen, I think those guys could fit well into the bullpen and, and not really have anything else impacted. Ali Marmol said today, it's going to be the best guys. That's who we're taking with us, regardless of their role. We're taking the best guys we can. And with the news from Major League Baseball today, uh, earlier Tuesday, that they're going to go with an expanded roster, 28 players on the roster in April. I do not believe there's any limitations on how many pitchers you can carry. So you better believe they're going to carry just about as many pitchers as possible. Can honestly be bad news for a guy like Lars Nupar or uh, Juan Yepes or, or Brendan Donovan, who I, I believe is probably already kind of on the outside looking in, although Donovan did homer today in the, in the game on Tuesday. But they may want to take as many pitchers as they can just at the beginning to make sure they're going to be able to cover all the innings that they'll have to, to get through in April with, with a pitching staff that is potentially – Compromised not only because of the Flaherty thing, but just because of the condensed nature of spring, which guys are going to be able to build up to that six-inning, 100-pitch threshold that you typically see from a starter. I would think Wainwright's going to be there. I would think Michaelis is going to be there. I would think Dakota Hudson can probably get there. Uh, But then after that, you know, it kind of remains to be seen. 
the direction that it goes. Steven Matz could, you know, could be, maybe he'll be a little bit behind that mark, but you're hoping to get as many innings out of those guys as you can. But when it comes to the, that fifth spot, you may not be able to build a guy up to six and a hundred. And so you might do something of a piggyback, something of a, an unusual, atypical way to handle those innings at, at first anyway. But somebody's going to start those games, and I don't think the Cardinals will be using an opener. That would surprise me. So you're talking Drew Verhagen, you're talking Jake Woodford, and you're talking Johan Oviedo. I think those are the three candidates for that fifth spot in the rotation, assuming everybody else stays healthy. And so far, the good news, and the reason I wanted to bring this up today, is that all three of those guys are pitching well. You've seen all three of them in game action to this point, and you've seen all three of them thrive. Drew Verhagen, to me, I think has the highest upside. He pitched on Sunday in Port St. Lucie against the Mets. He pitched two scoreless innings. I believe only needed 20 pitches to do it. And he had strikeouts of Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, Robinson Cano. It's pretty impressive. Going up, this is a guy who had to go over to Japan to be able to kind of remake his career. Wasn't able to really stick or thrive in the big leagues before. Goes overseas, pitches well, earns his way back on a $5.5 million deal over two years. And then comes out and he's he's making some of the better hitters in the league look look kind of silly. Pete Alonso really just he couldn't keep up with the fastball. 95 and Verhagen's a big, tall guy. Maybe that is, is partially to, to his benefit to be able to be deceptively fast with the way the ball gets on, guys. And so he looks good. That's one candidate. I, I say he has the highest upside. I don't know if that means he's kind of leading the pack right now for that that fifth spot. That might be Jake Woodford, just because he's got more experience with the team. And with Verhagen, you know, they did say, and we, we asked Verhagen this, when he agreed to sign with the Cardinals, what was that conversation like? Was it was he told that he might be able to compete as a starter? Was he told it's probably going to be a relief role? You think about when they brought KK over a couple years ago, Kind of similar, right? KK was a starter overseas and then comes here wanting to be a starter. What did the Cardinals say? How was that you know, necessarily going to play out? KK obviously started as the closer in 2020, which did not suit him. and ended up back in the rotation pretty short order. But when it comes to Verhagen, I asked him that exact question. Like, what did Moselec say to you? He said, no, he told me I would have a, a chance and I would at least get a look as a starter. And that was obviously before the Flaherty injury. And so you figure they already knew they had five starters, but that's John Moselak just recognizing like stuff happens. And, and when, if, and when that first guy gets hurt this year, happened to be Flaherty. Drew Verhagen. Yes. You have an opportunity to show us what you can do as a starter. And now I think that's absolutely true because you've got an obvious spot to put him. Jake Woodford has experience. Uh, they're talking a lot in camp about him coming in and looking like a different guy, carrying himself differently, which is good for young guys to be able to take that next step in their maturation process. Uh, maturation process. I'm not even going to clip that out because I'm just so tired that I don't care. You can hear me uh, in my natural uh, mush mouth uh, way. Anyway, for Jake Woodford, I think that this is an opportunity for him to grab hold of the job if he ends up having a really good spring. Maybe over even Drew Verhagen, just because this is a guy who's been with the Cardinals, he's earned the opportunity. I think that's the way they might look at it. Uh, but I think Verhagen has even better upside, potentially, because I like what I've seen from him so far. And then there's Johan Oviedo, another guy who I think has tremendous upside, but you're likely going to see him start the season out in Memphis 
in the rotation for AAA. But these are your, your seven guys, basically, right now that you have contending for five spots. And the first four are pretty much locked in. Wainwright, Dakota Hudson, Miles Michaelis, Steven Matz. And you're looking at that number five. The takeaway for now, they're all pitching well. Two scoreless innings for Woodford today, two for Oviedo, and then two on Sunday it was for Drew Verhagen. It's just going to be a matter of what do the Cardinals want to do. They, they, there are only so many innings to go around this spring, and so it's going to be difficult to be able to spend much time really whittling down this competition because you may not get, you just may not have the innings to be able to have too many rounds of, okay, let's kind of go toe-to-toe and see who pitches the best. They're already going to have to have their idea, I think, of what they want to do. And that's why I think Woodford could have the edge because they've just seen more of him. Drew Verhagen is brand new to this team. And so that's that's what could be the difference maker. But honestly, for me, it's very close between Woodford, then Verhagen, and then I think Oviedo, just based on kind of the way things went last year and, and haven't seen anything drastic to change that coming in this year. Like, Oviedo has looked good, but so is Woodford. So is Verhagen. So it's kind of a, a tricky situation right now to really parse out those three guys. But uh, keep an eye on each of their outings. If you're if you're someone who's really trying to figure out what that's going to look like for the, the fifth spot in the rotation, I think we're going to know sooner rather than later just based on the way these guys are being used. But for right now, all, all three of them have had good outings thus far in their first opportunity in Grapefruit League play. And so it's going to be interesting to kind of see how it shakes out in the days ahead. Now I'm going to transition here one more time before we wrap up this episode Can't recall how much I've spoken about it in previous episodes of the show, and so I'm going to do it a little bit more now. want to talk about Corey Dickerson. I feel like I I brought it up at some point, but I don't know how in-depth we got. But in the context of the DH, because the DH is is a question that I I get kind of often nowadays, who's going to be the Cardinals' DH? And I want to frame that a little differently because I think the team is going to frame it differently, and so I kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit before I get out of here with you guys today. I think the Cardinals are going to be very versatile with the way they approach the the designated hitter. It's in the National League this year. It's going to be different, but they haven't gone out and signed a Nelson Cruz, right? They haven't gone out and and brought in a guy that's that's going to be your everyday DH seven days a week. They don't have that guy on the roster, and they don't want to. That's not the way they want to to use that. I think they're going to leverage this position the way they try to leverage a a lot of different things in, in, in the game of baseball, and that's to be able to use it as a a kind of bonus spot to be able to get guys rest at times, to be able to keep the bat in the lineup of an Arenado or a Goldsmith at times without having to, uh, without having to give those guys a full day off. You could say, well, just don't play the field and we can, we can at least leverage you that way. They're going to use it to benefit them with matchups. If Yepes is on the roster, you might see him bat against left-handed pitching, but then you might see uh, Corey Dickerson or you might see Lars Newpar batting against right-handed pitching. It's going to be a, a multifaceted role, I think, where it's going to change almost every day. You're, you're going to have stretches throughout the season where a guy gets hot and so they kind of stick with the same lineup. I think that'll be the case at certain times, especially based on the matchups. But I also think you're going to see a lot of different guys in this role and, and it be used in a way that can benefit uh, maybe a more fluid construction of the roster because the Cardinals in past years, sometimes you get the guys on the bench that they just don't find their way into games very often and you could go days at a time and be like, oh yeah, Jose Rondona is still on this roster. Kind of forgot about him. I don't think you're going to see that as much. I think you're going to see uh, a more appropriate and, and holistic usage of the Cardinals bench. Part of that's though going to be because of the rule change with the universal DH. It's just going to be easier to do. It's going to be easier to cycle guys in. Uh, I, I think the, the bench is going to make more sense this year, whereas you're going to have 
you know, your, your outfielders like a Dickerson or a Newt Bar, whoever's maybe not the DH for that day. You've got Yepes, who they're working on defensively. He had a kind of a rough day over the weekend uh, as far as a first baseman is concerned. And Ali Marmal said today, you know, we, we've told him he's going to have to be able to, to answer the bell defensively so that we can use that DH spot from time to time to give Goldie a rest. Uh, you know, they're going to want to see Yepes in the outfield, in the corner outfield spots for similar reasons. You want to be able to give Dylan Carlson a rest sometimes. Tyler O'Neill is going to be the DH at times. And so it's really going to be important for Yepes to, to answer the bell defensively, I think, in addition to what he can do with his bat, which so far this spring he's been quiet. I think he's one, you know, one for seven or whatever he is. He's, he's n- not done a whole lot offensively just yet. But that's going to be another factor that they're going to have to try and figure out whether he can be that kind of roving, uh, I don't want to say Yaro Munoz kind of player because I think Yepes profiles a little bit more as first base, a little bit more corner outfield. Uh, perhaps he gets to some other spots on the infield as well. But that's one way they're going to be looking to use him. Uh, Nolan Gorman, does he fit into the DH conversation? Probably not at the beginning of the year. i got to be honest, I'd be surprised at this point to see Gorman make the roster out of camp because I think Newt Barr and Dickerson probably have the edge as far as left-handed bats off the bench are concerned. And I don't think they want Gorman to really be a bat off the bench. By the time he gets to St. Louis, you're going to see him... Think of, think of the way they did it with Dylan Carlson, uh, kind of like 2020 and then and then certainly last year. They didn't want to bring Carlson up to have him sit on the bench. They wanted him to be ready when the time came. And when he gets to the big leagues, he gets that call up. They wanted him to be in the lineup. In 2020, Carlson pretty much was that, but then he looked a little bit overmatched at first, was not maybe performing up to expectations. So they sent him back down for a little while, called him back up. When they, But they had to trust that they were going to be able to put him in the lineup every day. Otherwise, it's just not worth it. At that point in his development, he should be getting every day at bats. That is exactly the way they view it for Nolan Gorman right now. And the fact that they went out and got Dickerson, who I recognize as an outfielder while Gorman is an infielder, I think that kind of shows, though, because it's another left-handed bat, that they're looking for a more immediate impact as a potential DH, as just another lefty to be, uh, whether it's in the lineup or at least an option to be in the lineup. I think that's kind of the way the Cardinals were approaching this, and, and that's why they felt like they had to go out and get Dickerson. I think Lars Nupar, just as a bat off the bench, is probably more uh, the guy that's going to be having a good chance to make the roster rather than Gorman just right now, because I think they're going to get him at bats. They want Gorman to play second base. They want him to play third base. They want him to continue to get reps so that when he gets here, he's versatile enough to where you don't ever have to really sit him out of the lineup uh, because he can he can fill it in multiple spots and also be able to DH. Dickerson, he's got experience as a DH. He's got experience in all the outfield spots, and so I think he'll be valuable for the Cardinals from that perspective, just be able to move him around. Uh, but I don't think either that it means, okay, well, they got Dickerson, so Newt Barr, he's, he's going to Oakland. And I may have even brought this up in a previous episode. I still don't think that's the case. I don't see any reason you'd want to trade a controllable player like Lars Nupar. Uh, I think he's got good upside. I think he could be a really good player at this level. He, he can be more than a fourth outfielder, in my opinion. So I would love to see the Cardinals hang on to him, and I think that's what they're going to do. So kind of interesting as far as the DH goes. Let me know if you have any questions about what the designated hitter will look like for the Cardinals. Anything uh, angles that we have not approached as of yet. Uh, we could talk about the bullpen, rotation, anything you guys want to talk about. I'm always an open book, at bshafer12 on Twitter. Shoot me a DM. Let me know what you think. Uh, speaking of Twitter, y'all should go and when I when I retweet the uh, KTGR Big Show sitcom character bracket, vote for your favorite sitcom characters there because I'm curious to see who's going to end up coming out on top of that thing. That, of course, is for my radio show at KTGR Big Show, uh, 4 to 6 p.m. weekdays. 
and that's in the central time zone. I'm here on the eastern time zone right now, and it's kind of throwing me off, but I will be back heading to Missouri as early as uh, Wednesday morning, and like I said, I think by Friday we'll be back rocking ready to go for B-Shape Daily, but hey, in case you're wondering when the uh, next episode will be and you're, and you're not entirely sure, the easiest way to know is to subscribe. Apple Podcasts or Spotify are the two best places to go. You can subscribe to B-Shape Daily and you will always be alerted and notified whenever the next episode drops. So appreciate you guys for doing that. Appreciate you for following me on Twitter at bshafer 12 Hit me up. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know what I should add to the arsenal for this year of B-Shape Daily Season 2. As we talked about, I might even get into a little bit of Mizzou coaching uh, basketball talk with uh, Dennis Gates being hired as well. But for the most part, it's all Cardinals talk here on B-Shape Daily. So appreciate you guys as always, and we'll talk to you next time. Peace.